0: Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and along with me from Football Outsiders, also working on a huge project with such uh, previous guests on the show as Brandon Thorne for Bleacher Report looking at the 2022 draft. But we won't discuss that right now because we have big things to talk about. Derek Klassen. uh, Welcome back to the show, buddy. How are you?
1: Not too bad, man. Um, You know, I I get to say this now because its I I feel like I have to. It was like 110 plus for two months here, and now it's not. So I'm doing a lot better mentally because of that. (laughs) I can go outside without feeling like I'm dying.
0: (laughs) Well, it's, uh, as we speak, 57 in Minnesota. So uh, I just took the dog for a nice fall walk. I will take the two weeks of fall. But then after that, it becomes truly awful. Uh, in Minnesota, except for the winter sports people who like to go skiing and everything else. I just stay inside and huddle. Uh, But since it is your job to study quarterbacks, and in my opinion, you are one of the best of the best in the uh, internet stratosphere of studying quarterbacks, we got a great matchup to talk about here, Derek. I want to begin with you on Kirk Cousins, because there has been a lot of discussion uh, about Kirk Cousins and his improvements specifically toward the end of games, where this year he's been very good at the end of games. He has not been turning the ball over, which he has had a uh, propensity to do at times during his career. He's not taking a lot of sacks this year. He's getting the ball out quickly. Some of these things are just not Kirk Cousins-y things. In fact, a few years ago, you and I did an entire show about why Kirk Cousins doesn't lead game-winning drives very often. we looked at a bunch of them. So what have you made of kirk cousins play so far this year and by the way i did hear that dog barking in the back, which means there's a rule on this that you have to make a dog pun that's the rule it happens a lot you have to make a dog pun in your next answer so go ahead what have you made of kirk cousins play so far this year
1: oh that's going to be harder than talking about kirk cousins which is already difficult enough most of the time um i mean i don't know we were talking we were kind of talking about it leading up to the show like kirk cousins just does this sometimes i will say that i think um The way that the offense has opened up structurally um, with more receivers on the field, I think has maybe helped him a little bit, because I think we saw at times when he was in Washington, um, he's a better quarterback now than he was in Washington. But a lot of his best moments in Washington were when they had like Deshaun Jackson and they could do a really good job of stretching the field and making those windows over the middle of the middle of the field a little bit clearer for him. Um, And I think when they did, even though he's a very good play action quarterback and stuff like that, I think when they were a more heavier team and then they got into drop back when, when they had like more condensed windows over the middle of the field, I think sometimes he could get a little bit gun shy. And now that I think they've opened things up a little bit, I think that's a little bit more conducive to him being willing to pull the trigger and stuff like that. And so um, I know Harif, Harif Hassan was talking about this on Mina's show. And the thing is like when you get into two minute situations late in the game, like that is what your offense becomes, no matter what, even if that's not like what you are, generally like coming into a game your offense is going to have to be 10 11 personnel you're throwing the ball um, stuff like that and so he kind of posited the idea that maybe because their offense is a little bit more that way generally he's actually just more comfortable in these late game situations when that's what the offense becomes anyway and I think there's probably some truth to that because I mean just the more that you rep anything the more comfortable you're going to get with it and I think he's very much a guy who because he is not very naturally a guy who can just make you know he can make chicken salad out of out of chicken shit like I I think he's a guy who kind of needs reps and stuff and now that I think they're doing that a little bit more he's just gotten a little bit more comfortable
0: Yeah, I think part of my theory has been that he also has another guy to throw to Mm -hmm. and there's only so much focus the defense could put on Um, you know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, but they're going to put all of it on them in those big situations. And KJ Osborne is just, he's a guy, he's a player. And in previous years, there were times where cousins targeted Laquan Treadwell on fourth down. And, And it was like, why, what is that happening? Why are you doing? But also, Laquan Treadwell is on the field, and if he's on the field and Kirk Cousins Reed takes him there, he's going to throw the ball there, and it's not Kirk's fault necessarily that they had a well below replacement-level wide receiver out on the field way too often in those big spots because, well, even last year in big moments they would have B.C. Johnson or Chad Beebe. These guys are barely NFL players who you're having as his third wide receiver, and we tore our hair out for the longest time going – you know, guys, maybe should sign one or draft one or do something. And they have sort of hit the lottery again with KJ Osborne. I think that even weirdly, Irv Smith's injury has not allowed him to even rely on a tight end on underneath stuff. It's like, no, you have to throw it to a playmaker in these big spots.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think there is some... I think when you put a quarterback in that situation where he's not naturally super aggressive and you kind of put him into this like ultimatum where it's like you have to start throwing down the field more or you're screwed and the offense can't function, especially with some of the uh, running back uh, injuries that they've had. Like not that that Alexander Madison is bad, but like he's not Dalvin Cook. Um, And so like that kind of forces you to push the ball down the field. I think we're seeing some of the same thing with um, Derek Carr. Like he's generally been a guy who's a little bit more conservative. The offense can't run the ball um their running backs have been banged up and their offensive line sucks so Derek Carr is, is kind of like he knows that like okay if I don't push the ball down the field we're not going to get down the field and I think he's done a really good job opening himself up in that sense Kirk Cousins has not like his ADOT is like not nearly as high as cards is right now but I think he's generally been more comfortable taking those those plays when he has to
0: still waiting on that dog pun you. Um...
1: <laughs> I will get one by the end of the show okay. I, I promise you that
0: that is a demand it
1: be good but it will be there <laughs>
0: Uh, well so uh cousins has navigated hairy situations uh so to speak and he has um left fans drooling for more about the way that he's played at the,
1: <laughs> at the end okay maybe mine won't be so bad compared to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean hey if you're not gonna jump on it then i will pick up the pun slack no but i, I think i think you're right that when cousins is really forced into a situation where he absolutely has to be aggressive and he has another player to make plays for him, he could do it. it. I mean, th- that was always the puzzling thing because people always look for these other explanations. Like, is he just a choker? Does he get nervous? And I, and athletes do for sure. I, I, I think that that happens, but I'm not sure that someone at such a high level who had been an NFL quarterback for so long, when put in a situation that's difficult, would just be like ah, I melt. Um, and I think the other part of it too is that their pass protection, well, not brilliant, has been good enough to get him time to throw in some of these spots. I also think that, like you said off the start, this is this is Cousins though, and, and this is the thing that I think people are concerned about is that so far. They've beat the teams that don't have winning records. They've lost the teams that do have winning records. I don't want to talk about this luck, that luck, because it's gone both ways through six games. And, uh, you know, it it feels like this is kind of a, it's like a classic Cousins, but maybe trumped up a little or turned up a little bit on the notch. But it's sort of a classic Cousins season to be three and three. It's got really good statistics. He's played well. He's had his moments. But then you're sort of, holding your breath, like, wait, is one of those games going to happen? And and maybe that was just Cleveland. And then that's the game that was going to happen. But usually out of a 16 or 17 game season, you get 10 or 11 good performances out of cousins. And then you get five or six where you go, I don't know what just happened there. And we lost to Atlanta because why? And uh, th- that has not happened yet this year. And I wonder if there's anything you see with him where you say, you know, maybe it won't, maybe that shoe won't drop.
1: Uh, I don't know. I think he still kind of is generally the way that he is. I, I will say, I think I agree with you that the, the protection has generally been like good enough. I will say too, like Kirk Cousins is his problem against pressure has never really been like being willing to take a hit if he knows where he's going. Like he'll stand in there if he if he goes like one to two and he's going to take a hit, but he knows where he wants to pull the trigger. He'll still do it and take the hit and he won't shy away from that. The problem has always just been like if he has to move or reset, things can get a little bit trickier than that. I think with what we talked about er earlier with him maybe trusting these weapons more than now that he has a a third receiver that is like an NFL player that is actually good to have on the field, it's possible that he's getting in those situations more where he's a little bit more comfortable pulling the trigger early in the play because he knows that this guy's open. He trusts him to make a play. And so even if he's getting pressured, he's not like second guessing or anything. He's not like, oh God, I'm going to drop my eyes. I'm going to, you know, take a sack, whatever. He's just like, I think my guy's open. I trust him. I'm going to pull the trigger. And so I think that's working really well for him. Pressure stuff is always like, can be volatile, but I think he's always kind of functioned this way. And it's just a matter of like, how bad is the offensive line going to get? How bad are the receivers going to get? I think the receivers are going to be fine. Maybe the offensive line gets worse, especially if they get a guy injured. But I think, Generally, he's he's probably going to be OK. He'll probably still have one or two games like that because that's just what he does. Um, but that's also like any other quarterback. Like, I mean, we just saw Mahomes completely like die like last week. Like it's just going to happen to some guys. So um, I don't think he's going to completely capit- capitulate to a level that's like he- he's unplayable. I think he'll probably be fine.
0: Yeah. I think that um, the way that they're trying to, and I don't mean this as a pun as a reference to the vaccination status, but trying to sort of build a bubble around him a little bit where he's getting the ball out quicker. And like you said, his depth of target's gone down, whereas Gary Kubiak's plan. And so was Kevin Stefanski's was to run longer developing routes and have cousins use his deep accuracy to those receivers. And it's interesting that the results are a little different in like yards per attempt and things like that. But the results overall are kind of not that different. I mean, they still have great passing numbers, but too many three and outs and too many long stretches where nothing happens and it'll still be third and 11 and he'll throw a three yard pass. And there are still even moments with clock management where you go, you okay. Uh, what, you know, why did you throw like against Cleveland? Like, why did you throw a three yard pass in bounds? Because you do that sometimes. And I guess I just wonder, like, what you think the ideal offense for him is, because it's almost like we've declared it whatever we recently saw work. So early in 2018, we're like, wow, Filippo is nailing it. And then, you know, later in the season, it comes off the rails. Stefanski and Kubiak with the play actions, it worked for a ton of downfield stuff. It also got him sacked a lot and he held on to the ball a lot. And then this year, now it's the short stuff. And I guess, I I don't know, like maybe there is no magic bullet answer. Why don't you just do this and it will work all the time?
1: I don't think there's one that takes him to the next level. I think he's very much a guy that who can like be, he can fit into a lot of different things. Like, I think you made the joke that like he is kind of just the best offense for him is whatever we saw him in last but I think that's like the thing is he's just kind of adaptable and there's no thing that's going to like set him over the top. I just don't think he has a skill set where you can he's so good at a lot of things but he's not great at any one thing that you can be like we're going to build the offense around this. Whereas like Cam Newton at his prime, it was obviously the way that he could run and power pass. You even see with like Ryan Tannehill, it's very clear that like what his skill set is with like the power pass that they do with Derrick Henry and stuff like that. Um I mean, it's just like Russell Wilson, the same thing, like he's much more of like a complete deep shot guy. Um, And then they're just kind of okay with building the offense for him to scramble and stuff like Kirk Cousins, I think, is just not a guy who has a trait that is very conducive to building this elite offense. You're kind of just hoping that the pieces around him can be elite and then he's always going to be the guy that can like fit it together properly.
0: No, I'll ask uh, which you about... is
1: kind of, kind of sucks. If you're hoping that he's like your franchise changer, uh, which people have been hoping for for three years, but I, I don't know. He he definitely is more of just like a stabilizer than I think somebody who completely puts you over the top.
0: I was just about to take it there because <laughs> we're, we're more or less in a contract year in the way that he's not playing with a $45 million cap hit next year. Or if he does, that's not very helpful toward winning the Super Bowl. What would you do? Because I saw a tweet of yours and I retweeted it. Uh, About this upcoming draft class. Now, I've never been a complete believer in. There's no quarterback in this draft class because Herbert wasn't supposedly that good, and Burrow, you know, was kind of a one-year wonder who emerged, and those are two great quarterbacks now. So, um, but you you tweeted about the draft class coming up that's not all that great. If the Vikings were going to move on, they would very likely have to draft quarterback. I mean, what 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 should they do here? Because I mean, if he p- continues to play like this, they make the playoffs probably. They go like nine and eight or something, maybe ten and seven, and it's going to be very difficult to beat Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and so forth um, to win a Super Bowl, right? So, like, wh- like what would you do? Would you kind of say like, well, the NFC quarterback situation is kind of in flux entirely, and eventually Brady and Rodgers won't be here, and you are you'd have a chance with a, a lot of young pieces, or should they take the route of plan on this kind of being your last year of being dedicated to Kirk cousins?
1: I think this is just like I think in a vacuum moving on from Kirk cousins is maybe the best choice. Um, just because I think ultimately he's not a guy who puts you over the top. Like we were saying, like he's good and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can win with all the right circumstances. Generally that's going to happen on a rookie contract though. And he's obviously not on that. Um, the problem is, like, man, this quarterback class really does suck. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of these guys in depth um, too much. But, like, Rattler is obviously not who we thought he was going to be. Sam Howell, to me, is like – I mean, if he's Andy Dalton, that's that's as best as you're getting, I think, with him. Um, Matt Corral, I think, is a numbskull, even if he's kind of talented. Like, there's just – I just don't know who the guy is supposed to be. Like Carson Strong, Nate Tice said he can't run out of his own shadow, which is pretty good. Um, And I think that's ultimately true with him, even if he's like a decently talented passer. I, I just, there's, there, the thing is there probably will be a guy from this class who turns out to be a top 16 quarterback or whatever, and is like a functional player or whatever, but there's none of them heading into the draft season into the draft where you're like, that's the one I would stake my franchise on him being the guy. And I think, especially when you're in Minnesota's spot where one, they're not going to play poorly enough to be in the fourth overall pick where they can just like freely get this guy. That's not going to happen. So even if you move on from Cousins, you're still having to give up a ton of assets in a class that is probably not good to begin with. So even if in a vacuum, ideally, it would be wonderful to move on from Kirk Cousins um especially given this contract situation it's just like it's just not reasonable in this in this offseason i don't think
0: it it feels like what you would have to do is find a way to reduce his cap hit and for maybe i don't know though you can't like it's not a video game you can't just like extend for a year right to agree (laughs) to that like that's the problem like we ask people ask all the time, well, isn't there something they could do? Well, right. But his side has to agree to it. And I don't know why he would.
1: Mm-hmm. So um that's the thing. Why would he do that? Like, right. It, it doesn't. I don't know.
0: Well, and if he puts up the seventh best quarterback rating in the league and they go eight, and nine and miss the playoffs by a single game is his side going to go. No, you're right, guys. We'll take 22 million. <laughs> no, of course not. He's going to look at Josh Allen's deal and Patrick Mahomes and be like 40 mil, baby. Let's go. And uh, I would not blame him for that. Somebody has always paid Kirk Cousins. It's just that uh, he's going to continue to up the ante as he plays in the top 10, 12 quarterbacks in the NFL, because look at the bottom quarterback play. Um, So that that puts them in a tough position, especially with Justin Jefferson very much in his prime. You can't really waste the year either with a rookie quarterback, you can't do this Justin Fields thing and just go like six and 11 because you have a rookie quarterback. Well, Justin Jefferson's on his rookie contract. So it is a very, very difficult needle to thread. Now the team on the other side, the Dallas Cowboys, they've kind of done this Dak Prescott. He's got the huge contract. They've paid everybody. And yet they put enough weapons around him to just have this miraculous offense tell me what Dak Prescott is doing that has made him an elite quarterback. Because I think even that conversation about signing him, not signing him, even the Cowboys were like, I don't know, is he going to be worth it? And then now he's playing as good as any quarterback in the NFL.
1: I think the Cowboys trying not to pay him was the dumbest thing possible. He's been a top five quarterback for, for years. I think he's just unbelievable. I think pre-snap, like, Outside of Brady, I don't know that there's anybody as, as, as sharp as he is. Like, he handles so much. He handles all the protection stuff. Um, he's incredible at understanding, like, where leverage is. He's the reason that they can go to as much drop back as they can. Um, like, he just – he can do everything, man. Like, I think he's he's incredible. He can throw to all three levels of the field. Um, he oddly will have, like, one or two throws in the 1-10 to 10 yard area that just, like, hit the dirt for no reason. Like, that's, like, his one really weird blemish. I don't know why he continues to do that. Um But I think otherwise he's just incredibly accurate. And I think why he is so good and like I know um, Seth Galena has kind of talked about this on his show a lot. But like their offense can be like three different offenses because of the way that he can function. They can be this like empty spread everybody out because he can read everything. They can go into um, tighter formations a little bit and get into like true – you know like under center play action stuff they can go to gun and play action they can go to gun and drop back they can do literally anything because he can make every throw on the field he can get to his backside if he needs to like he can do all the full um full field read progressions like you don't have to you don't have to just roll him out to make sure that he's making all the right throws and stuff like he just everything is on on the board for him and like he's probably the best passer from the pocket in the NFL except for again maybe Brady Um, And he's still good enough outside the pocket that, you know, he's not like peak Mahomes or or Allen or whatever, but like he's still really, really good outside the pocket. It's just that he's made such a concerted effort and done such a good job at being an inside the pocket passer that we don't really think of him as a playmaker, even though he's still one of the best at that, too. So I I just think he's been incredible. And to your point, like they've surrounded him with just unreal talent at, at every position, really. And even the offensive line is not 2016 levels, but it's pretty damn good.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about this too, because uh, when Mike McCarthy got there, it was natural to go, Oh no, what did you just do? Uh, The guy who ruined Rogers, um, which, you know, maybe part of it was their roster falling apart too in green Bay. Uh, But Kellen Moore seems to know what he's doing. Um, Give me your, your kind of feeling on him because it's so funny every week. I'll run across something of somebody calling Joe Brady, a genius in Carolina. And talking about how, oh, he's a head coach candidate. Can't wait till Joe Brady's the head coach. And I'll go, what? Why? I don't understand what what is happening. Kellen Moore, on the other hand, I look at his offense as having open receivers for Dak Prescott a lot. And like you said, having a lot of different layers to it. And he's a guy that I think people should be talking about as a future head coach and not so much um, Sam Darnold's offensive <laughs> coordinator.
1: Um, I mean, I agree. Like I just said that like, the, the reason they can get to four different offenses is because of Dak and because of the talent that they have. But like you still have a, to have a guy who can put it together and make sure that it works together and it functions together. And I think Moore has, has generally done that. I think when he first took over play calling duties last year, or two years ago or whatever it was, he, he did a really good job early on of like doing a lot of shifts motions and motions and giving Dak Prescott a lot of, um, Because the thing is like shift in motion stuff to me can be kind of overrated. You need a quarterback who is smart enough to understand where the moving pieces are going. But Dak is obviously that. And I think for whatever reason, after Kellen Moore's first couple of games when he took over a while ago, they had gotten away from that and gotten more static. But this year, I think they've done a really good job at getting back to that. Um, maybe part of that is they just feel like their tight end group is a little bit more versatile than it used to be. I know, I know it's the same guys that they used to have, but they're healthier now. And I think um, Dalton Schultz in particular looks better than he had um, before. So they've been comfortable moving those guys around. Um, CD lamb obviously has another year in the system. That's going to help like uh, Tony Pollard, another year in the system. They've done a really good job of like splitting him out wide as, as a receiver a little bit. So like, I think he knows that they have all of these moving pieces um, and he's just done such a good job being able to move them all around. And, and Dak is obviously a smart enough guy to understand all that. So I think more just the fact that he can make these two or three completely different styles of offenses still flow together, um, especially the way they tie their run game to, to the uh, play action game. And it, it's really incredible. Like there was a sequence against the Chargers in the first quarter. Um, Dak actually ends up throwing a pick on the play action because uh, uh, who was it? I think Asante Samuel just makes, like, an insane play on the ball. But, like, the way that they got to that, and it was open um, before Samuel made a crazy play, I mean, just the way that they can sequence stuff is, is really incredible. So I think Moore is definitely better than Brady at this point. I think Brady's still good and is handcuffed by an idiot quarterback. But <laughs> I think Moore is definitely the guy who should be getting uh, head coaching stuff.
0: Folks, football season is in full swing, but we've got basketball and hockey getting rolling as well. And Soda Stick has got you covered. You have to see the moose t-shirt designs for Marcus Foligno. You can also get your hands on the very popular Dollar Bill Carril shirts as well. On the basketball side, the design with three wolves howling at the moon, perfect for the spooky fall season, and the design with the wolf carved into the state of the Minnesota is just awesome. It's very cool stuff. And hey, for you college football fans, check out the Tanner Morgan t-shirts as well. Soda Stick has tons of hats and hoodies with all their great designs on them. You will love it. Go to Stick com that is s o t a s t i c k check that out today use the promo code purple insider for free shipping and also follow myself and soda stick on twitter for our giveaways Uh, yeah, I'm not convinced that Joe Brady was much more than Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Joe Burrow. But, you know, I guess you're right. It's hard to find out uh, when you have Sam Darnold just being super bad and his receivers don't like to catch the ball either. But um, to your point, doesn't it feel like uh, and tell me if you disagree that Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan start running the Gary stuff and the Shanahan, the Mike Shanahan stuff. Um, and they start really whipping people with it. And then everybody starts to pick it up. So, okay. It's in Tennessee. It's in Minnesota that Minnesota brings in Gary. Now it's in Cleveland with Stefanski. And so it's kind of spreading all over, but I was looking at even Cleveland's offense and they're mixing power runs with outside zone runs and they're mixing short stuff and screens with deep stuff. And it seems like every one of the best schemes, there's no real label that you can slap on it anymore. It's like, It's almost, remember how they used to talk about with Belichick where he didn't really have a scheme. It was just every week how he would play to the other team's strength and try to stop them. It feels like the best offenses in the league are doing that. And then there is this other form of offense in the league that just stinks and everyone can stop it. And it's the sort of this, a a team that feels like, oh, we need to be our identity. At least that's how I felt watching the NFL this year. It seems like there's just been a step forward schematically in the NFL.
1: I think it's kind of been, like, not a long time coming, but a few years coming. Like, when we – everyone everyone knows this, but if you go back to, like, the Bears game um, in, I think, 2019 with the Rams, like, when they really started, like, getting five and six guys on the line of scrimmage, and they were just not going to let you play – outside zone like they just weren't going to give you that because the way to beat outside zone is to just get everybody in one of the gaps immediately because the way the reason that outside zone works is that if you're playing like a typical four down front where there's um bubbles in a couple of the gaps like naturally when you're getting some of those double teams like something's going to to pop open in one of those bubbles that's just the way um that outside zone is designed to work um you're kind of playing to what how the defensive line is going to play you well if they're putting a guy in every gap what's supposed to come open Nothing. Like you're just hoping that your guard just kills a guy. That's really all that you're hoping for. And that's not a sustainable business model um, in the NFL. It might be fine if you're Alabama playing against, um, you know, Kansas or whatever the hell. like, <laughs> But in the NFL, it's just not a sustainable business model. And so I think a lot of these teams that were even known for doing a lot of the outside zone stuff, whether it's Kyle Shanahan, um, Sean McVay, even now with the Cowboys, um, now with Kellen Moore, like they're doing a lot better job of mixing in. Um, Gap runs and stuff like that. Whether it's you know some teams prefer duo where you're just getting uh, immediate double teams. Some teams prefer power counter. Whatever it is, Um, they're just doing a lot better jobs to make sure they're getting immediate double teams that push guys up the field. Um, And I think that that's why you're seeing some of these things work the way that they are. Because if you're going to go to especially what these teams are doing now with um, three down fronts, where you're you're seeing a lot more like typical three four, um, where you're going to have five guys directly on the line of scrimmage, like. The way to beat that is to just take that, you know, five tech or four or three, whatever they're playing, is to just immediately get a guard and a tackle on him and just push him out of the play and have a fullback or tight end or whatever sprint into that gap and lead block. So I think that's why you're kind of seeing this evolution the way that it is. And to your point, the offenses that are stuck behind are the ones that are still stuck trying to, oh, we just, you know, two years ago, we saw everybody was doing outside zone. So we're going to keep just doing outside zone. It's like the lead changes, man. Like it can change very fast and you got to keep up.
0: And I also think the teams are smarter about when they run and Mm -hmm. how, and what they use their running game for that. Okay. If you're, you know, up 14 and you're trying to grind the clock out, then, you know, that's when you want to use it. Or if it's second and short to get yourself a first down, then use it. But I, I just, when I look at the expected points added from the running game from even five years ago to now, I I see teams just doing it more efficiently, gaining much more expected points out of when they run the ball and then how they tie that together to their play actions and create deep shots down the field. I mean, that was sort of the McVay and Shanahan thing is tie those two things together, but now they're being tied, not just on, are we running an outside zone or not, but all sorts of different looks, formations, motions of, Oh, that was my key this week. If I'm a linebacker and Oh my God, that's not what's happening. And I also feel like this is why Eric Hendricks is so good and so valuable. Because there are five linebackers in the league who can deal with all this stuff.
1: What was it the pick he had against like the Lions or something like that? Or I don't know if he's the one who picked the ball, but like he had a ridiculous play where he jumped into like an RPO window, which is obviously like not the same as play action, but it was just like, dude, uh, that's why this is a mini like side rant. But like this is why I hate the devaluation of linebackers, because if you have one of those guys, the entire NFL passing game now is designed to beat linebackers. So if you have a guy who cannot be beaten as easily, that's pretty dang valuable, man. Like it's really nice to have one of those guys. It changes like structurally what you're allowed to get away with on defense.
0: Yeah. And last year uh, with Kendricks, they were sort of hanging on, on defense. As soon as he got hurt, they started giving up like 50 points. (laughs) That's, that's his value. And, and, uh, I, I mean, I've seen him do it. I don't know how many times, but the interesting little wrinkle to that was he said that he intentionally crouched down. So he thought, cause he's already kind of short that he mm-hmm. thought that <laughs> golf, like wouldn't be able to kind of spot him where, where his read was taking him. So even there's like little things that he does beyond that. And then he makes a one-handed interception. I mean, he's an incredible, incredible player. Uh, let me ask you before we wrap up just about the quarterback play in the league with some of these young guys. I've enjoyed watching Mac Jones play because he looks like an NFL quarterback right away. You're Like, wow, okay, making reads and delivering the ball on time. And also a fearlessness to Mac Jones that I really like. And I tend to look at a lot of things that go for young quarterbacks that go beyond statistics, PFF grades, whatever. Joe Burrow, for example, last year, getting whipped in, in games, just offensive lines, horrible. Not even sure their scheme's any good. And that dude just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. Did not see that from Justin Fields. Have not seen that from Justin Fields. Haven't seen it from Zach Wilson, really. I, I wonder what you think about judging the young quarterback class, even just beyond like the numbers they've put up. Because I, after what I saw about Justin Fields on Sunday, I was like legitimately concerned. You shouldn't look like you're giving up at the end of a game. When you're losing to Tom Brady, you you just, you have to keep fighting. Right. And it just looked like he had completely said somebody take me out of this football game. And I thought, man, I don't know. I just don't know if that's going to play. Um, so give, give me your kind of feeling on, on that.
1: I mean, with fields, like we saw him beat Clemson with like a broken rib. So like, I I, I don't think that this is like a thing that I don't think it's like an entirely that he's like not a fighter or whatever. I also think like A lot of these guys have bad offensive line, but, uh, I think next gen stats, tweeted something that like the bears are giving up the highest, like probability of pressure, like per, like whenever you're like 2.5 seconds in the pocket or whatever, they are the most, they're the highest probability of giving up a pressure, which doesn't have anything to do with fields. That's just their offensive line sucks that bad. So I do think it was a little bit concerning that he kind of checked out a little bit, um, but I don't know. It's like his fifth start. So I wasn't I, and it was against the Todd Bowles defense. Like it was just a horrible situation for him. He has not looked particularly great, though. He's had like moments against um, the Lions and the Raiders where he looked OK. He looks honestly really good on a lot of their play action stuff. But his drop back game has been pretty suspect, which is partly the offensive line, but also partly like we knew coming out of college, even for as much as I liked him, like the drop back one to 10 yard area was just not Typically, where he shined. Not that I thought he was horrible at it coming out of college, but that's probably where he was going to have his roughest, like come to Jesus moments in the NFL. And we've we've seen that, like that's been the case. And um, so I think it's just kind of a mix of him of being in a really bad offensive line situation for a guy who likes to hold on to the ball. Hopefully they can fix it. Hopefully they get their you know um, their tackle back that they had. So I, I don't know. Um, pretty rough situation for him. Zach Wilson i mean zach wilson has just not looked very good either um yeah he, ha- he has zach wilson to his credit has like two or three insane plays outside of the pocket again which is obviously what we expected it's just that everything else has been horrific another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals
0: I think it's got to be a pick and choose when it's who to sit and who not to sit. And Zach Wilson mm-hmm. was a guy, an obvious, you should sit him. I don't know that Justin Fields was an obvious one, but.
1: Honestly, I, I've said this before. And like the reality is just that these guys are going to play because GMs are playing for their, their, their job security. And, and they want to prove like, no, this guy is totally worth the pick, blah, 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 And they can't maybe waste a year of having a guy on a bench. Cause they might get fired in that year. But like, I would argue 90% of quarterbacks should sit. Like. Mac Jones, maybe uh, Mac Jones obviously has been good enough that it, it seems like he doesn't need to be. But we kind of knew that coming out of college, he was a guy who was really smart, really accurate, really tough in the pocket. So it kind of makes sense that he had a lot of the high floor stuff that would be conducive to him being competent early on. Um, and then obviously Trevor Lawrence, like. He's the prince who was promised. He was obviously going to be fine. But I think for all the other guys, like Lance in particular, like they just were probably going to, it probably would have been nice to see them sit a year, even if they may, maybe could play year one and still be fine down the road. It would probably have been nice for them to sit. Like that's just the reality, I think, for most quarterbacks.
0: And, and with Fields, I mean, it's just time to fire their coach and general manager. I mean, how, that too. how, how do you bring in a quarterback who's known for holding onto the ball too long? Mm-hmm. And you say, we're going to get rid of offensive linemen. Like, this is our plan.
1: Right? Like, it, <laughs> right. It, it's like the opposite of, it just structurally just didn't make any sense with them. And then especially even, they, they've been better about it and they've been better about their game planning um, over the past few weeks now that uh, Bill Lazor has taken over. But like, that first start where they was just like all gun, it was all empty. It was all like, spread everything out. It's like, do you think you drafted Mac Jones? Like what? Like, what are you, like, this is not, this doesn't make any sense. He seems to me like if he
0: if he gets through this, uh, because I guess that's where I was going with it. It's like I'm I'm concerned that they're just beating him down. And I think we've seen Mm -hmm. this before where quarterbacks entirely lose confidence in what they're doing. Uh, I think that's a real thing. Um, He struck me as a guy who could be like a faster Ryan Tannehill where he runs bootlegs and throws it down the field when you give him time and could be incredibly accurate deep. And I don't understand why Matt Nagy last year used bootlegs with Mitch Trubisky and it actually worked and he played somewhat competent football and then said, no, no, no. Back to my, back to my shotgun stuff. Like, I don't understand it.
1: It just doesn't make any sense with the guy that they drafted to your point. Like, it's just, I I don't know, man. I, I don't, I really don't understand what the plan for them was. And then I don't know if you saw this, you might've, there was a thing on Twitter where like, I think it was Fields' first interception he threw a bad ball. Like it, it was a bad ball, like whatever. I think he was like, he kind of scrambled and threw, threw one to Allen Robinson. Um, he kind of threw it behind me. It was not a very good ball. Probably should have been picked the way that it was. But I think what the, the tweet said was like one of the, the B writers said that the coaches had told him in his headset that he had a this. free play. And so of course fields is just gonna be like, I throw I can do whatever I want. And then he throws it into pick and it's not actually a free play. It's just like, what is he supposed to do? If your coach, if you're a rookie and you're, Fourth start or whatever, fifth start, and your coach tells you you have a free play. You're gonna go do something crazy, of course you are. Aaron Rodgers, does the same thing. Like it's just, uh, just a bad situation there. It's not. Uh,
0: Vi- the Vikings will find some way to lose to Andy Dalton in <laughs> December at Soldier Field, though it will happen. So uh, at QBKlass on Twitter, one of the best Twitter names, football outsiders doing things for Bleacher Report as well. Always one of my favorite guests, Derek. Thank you for coming on, sir. I appreciate your time.
1: It's always fun, man. I'm glad to be here. It's it's always a blast.